So this, this month, we're looking at our, our series called Love Jesus, and it's going to be looking at uh, how we love Jesus. I know, crazy, eh? but not in a mushy, romantic way for all of us guys out there that are like, oh, great, this is either going to cost me chocolates or flowers or there's no way to give those things to God. It's not a mushy way, but it is a fully human way because be, being close to Jesus is our goal, right? Because the closer we are to him, then the more we can reflect who he is. The more we can see and say that because of what Jesus has done for me, this is how I'm walking. And the easiest way to do that is to be as close to him as possible so we can mirror his ways. Now, being disciples, though, uh, who are resilient, like I said earlier, we do so by rejecting religious and secular clutter in our lives for closeness with and joy in Christ. And that's the challenge, isn't it, for us today? It's to reject the religiosity or reject spiritual patterns or cultural patterns that we think need to support us in life and find our rest and our joy in Christ alone. Now, a long time ago, 1999, I just, that's a little while ago, that's a minute ago, on a bridge over the Autonomy River on the Trent University campus in Peterborough, that long ago, I was mustering up courage to jump into something that scared me and was both exhilarating at the same time. Fumbling with words and with courage, uh, and even with an unplanned guy singing off-key worship songs on the banks of the river with his disc man. Yes, you remember those, right? Where you put your CD in and you, and you close it up and you hopefully it whirls and plays the songs that you wanted and didn't have a scratch on it to make it skip or not read the disc properly. And there he was on the side singing worship songs, off-key, nice and loud. And in that setting, I proposed to Ingrid. I know, eh? pretty special. Now, at this point in our relationship, there was absolutely no doubt that we were going to get married. We had already talked about our future together and things like that. I had just yet to propose to her and put a ring on her finger. So in the middle of that situation, the thought of your future hanging on a yes or no question, what it does is it puts fear and doubt in places that it doesn't belong. Now, if you've met Ingrid, you could understand that it would be crushing if she had said no to me in that moment because she's a pretty special woman. But we often do that, don't we? We have moments where fear and doubt creep in. But to move forward in our relationships, someone has to go first. Someone always goes first. It doesn't often matter who goes first as long as someone initiates. And yet with our faith, it actually does seem to matter who initiates. Because closest with Christ is, is a single yet, it's a significant shift from the way we normally view things, how we view initiative and how we approach God. And the biggest thing is this, God goes first. God always goes first. Now listen to these two verses in quick succession together. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life 
for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And we love because he first loved us. Now, you may say, for sure, I know that, Pastor Jeff. I've I've heard those verses or something very similar. I know that God loves us, that God came for us to save us because he loved us. I know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I understand those things. This isn't new information. And yet, often in our spiritual practices, in our relationship with God, we feel like we are the ones initiating We're the ones approaching God. We're the ones starting conversations. We're the ones beginning new adventures in God. So what is the shift? What shift do we need to take? Well, when you posture yourself to pray, know this, that God is already present. He's already listening. He's already speaking. You're just joining in. When you start to read the word, Guess what? The Word is already reading you, preparing for you to have enlightenment and revelation. When you exercise faith and take a step, the Spirit has already prepared a way. When you release something to God and you give it to Him, something that was either a burden or hard on you, and you give it to God, it unlocks something that He had planned but was waiting on you. Who here can testify with me that there's often a breaking point when it seems we have to do something. We have to lay something down before God. We have to submit or correct or or confess something. And the arduousness of that process was on our end. For when we finally relent, when we finally give in to God, it seems that God showed up. But it was like he was already there waiting with his grace, that he opens the door almost before we can knock. Have you had that experience? I know I have. Because when it comes to Jesus, there is never a time when it's all up to you. God always goes first. Paul, the writer of a lot of our New Testament that we, we often speak of, he wrote about when sharing, sharing with Jesus, Jesus with others. And this is a verse that we've shared recently over the last little while, and it, which means we should probably, you know, pay attention to it in our hearts that God keeps laying it on our, our, our hearts. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is, not, he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He created, he initiated, and calls and seeks us. And he asks us to seek him. And as we do, he is so close. He's waiting to say, I'm right here when you turn to seek and find him. In trying to understand what makes resilient disciples of Jesus, resilient followers of Jesus, uh, Barna and a few others have done some research on that, and they interviewed and asked questions to many people. 
And between the ages of 18 to 29, that age group, the number one crusher of their faith happens to be a faulty belief that following Jesus rests exclusively on their shoulders. They've learned this from church practices. They've learned this from church rhythms. So to clarify, when it comes to their relationship with Jesus, they think they always go first. But we know the Bible shows a different story than that. And yet it is something that we, if we come to believe that, that we go first, there's four possible ways that this belief can erode our resiliency if you believe that you go first. First one is this, that Jesus no longer impacts our everyday life. If you go first, if Jesus is somehow waiting on you, if you're the one that needs to initiate, then what impact can he have on your life? Because he's just a bystander unless you actively engage him in your life. So he no longer is active in your everyday life. If you don't invite him into the mor- in the morning, if you don't invite him into your day, does he just sit on the sideline waiting? Is he just sitting on the bench waiting to get into the game because you don't invite him in? Second way is this, that Jesus no longer shapes our whole life. If we don't feel like Jesus goes first, if we feel like we go first, that means what we, we have to chart our life, don't we? We have to look ahead and plan what our future looks like. We have to figure out the ins and outs and navigate what it looks like to make it through this life in a successful way. He no longer impacts every aspect of our life as compared to when he goes first. And we say, Jesus, my life is yours. You're going to be the filter that I view everything in my life through. My family, my finances, everything goes through you. My career, I focus my life, my career, through the lens of you and your will for my life. Third one, we search for deep joy and satisfaction somewhere or in someone else. Because if Jesus doesn't go first, then we look elsewhere. He's just one of the options on the shelf for us. We can look to other things and other people to fill that need and that craving within us. We look into our relationships with, with other people, our marriage relationships, romantic or friendships. We look to those relationships to fulfill us and bring us joy and, and completion in life. And yet we have to keep searching after them because we never quite get it. Which leads us on a continual search. And the fourth one, Jesus becomes merely a way and not the way to experience fulfillment in life. Because when we go first, we choose that fulfillment. We choose what it looks like rather than finding our fulfillment in the fact that Jesus is there. He's always been there. He's always will be there waiting for us, wanting to walk with us through everything. So how do we slip into this? How do we slip into having those things? We wouldn't necessarily go into our faith and go like, these four things, this is how I want to live my life. I'm always going to have God a second. I'm only going to invite him into what I want to invite him into. I'm only going to live this way. I'm only going to, I'm going to search for joy and satisfaction 
in multiple places. We don't start our faith that way. So how do we slip into it? We know that we're saved. It begins with a false belief that our faith rests on us and not on Christ. That how we live our life, that the workings out of our faith, it's on us to figure that out. Now, you may have been wondering why I had this weight here. 15-pounder, you think, okay, that's not bad. Most people should be able to lift that, you know, do whatever. Not a big deal. Now, if I were to have this weight in my hand and I were to hold on to it for like an hour, right, it's not going to be a huge, huge problem, but it's gonna, my arm's going to ache after that, right? Like this is a lot to carry around for an hour if I had to do this whole service, right? By the end, you'll be like, oh, you want to maybe switch hands after a little while, you know, shake your hand out and stuff like that. By four hours, though, my old arm's going to feel numb, isn't it? I'm going to be like, oh, it's going to feel like not 15 pounds, but like 150 pounds. I'm going to feel like it's pulling on my shoulder, and it's just going to feel awful, isn't it? It's going to be horrible. All I will think about is putting the weight down. The amount of weight doesn't really matter. It's the fact that I'm the one holding it. I'm the one that thinks I need to hold all that weight of the relationship with God. That it's all on me. Some of you are hoping that I was going to try and hold that for the whole message, didn't you? I'm not silly. (laughs) Take two people. One, both are following Jesus, okay? Both are following Jesus. Both are exercising all spiritual disciplines. They're reading their Bible, they're, they're praying, they're uh, whatever, doing charity, you're trying to give to God, and things like that. They're all trying to practice those things. One believes that God always goes first. Whatever they do, they trust that God is actively already at work in what they do, how they approach life, the situations they come up against, the challenges and the good things. Somehow, someway, God is always in the mix. He's been there before they enter into it, and he'll be there after they go through the problem. They walk through it that way. The other that's practicing spiritual disciplines, they they feel like they always go first. Whatever they do, they feel the weight of that relationship with God resting on their actions, that they have to lead in prayer. They have to lead in their Bible reading. They have to lead in their charitable giving or their, their, their charity work at church or in other places. They have to lead in forgiveness. And they carry this everywhere they go, having to do all of that work. They can both do it at the same times, but given time, one's going to become resilient, trusting that God is there all the time. He will show up. He will come through, be what they need. Not necessarily save them from harm, but be what they need to manage through it. And the other one often arrives at a resolution or a false resolution that they can't do Christianity because it doesn't work. They tried it, and when they read their Bible and they prayed and they they did all these things, life didn't get better. They didn't seem to connect the way they thought they would because they thought in doing all those things, it would earn them what they thought they needed. But here's the thing. 
despite what we believe, Christianity isn't something that we do. It's something that Christ did for you. The only way you can take the label of Christian is to say that what I have is useless and what God gives me makes me righteous. There's nothing you can do to earn the title Christian. It's something that you embrace because God says, I love you. I'll die for you. I'll give you my righteousness so you can be made clean and whole. Christ has saved you. He has sanctified you. Christ allows you to take, like I said, your right, his righteousness as your own to be, be declared clean. We trust the finished work of Christ as he works on the unfinished work of our hearts. God went and always goes first. Romans 5.8 says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When the weight of following Jesus falls on your shoulders, you begin to live from the should. I should. I should be praying more in my life. I should be reading God's word more. I should be forgiving people more and really meaning it when I forgive them and not just saying it. I should be giving more or spending more time volunteering somewhere. I should be doing all these things. I should be, should be, should be doing it. And by the time we're done shoulding everything, our lives ache from carrying it all. Again, you may need to do some of those steps in obedience to God. God may say to you, I'd really love to spend some more time with you. I'd really love to have you read my word to, to, so I can reveal myself to you. I'd really love for you to do that. But I want you to hear what happened even as I said that. You had an invitation from God. He was already there asking you to come to a place that he is. He initiated. He started. He went first. When we feel like we have to do it all, it's a weight that's too heavy to carry. And it's a weight that doesn't get you the strength that you need because it's your strength, not his. All of this, again, might be your obedient steps to take, but not from a should. It should come from a, a can because of Jesus. Because Jesus always goes first, I can pray more. I can forgive even when it's hard. I can read my Bible. Because Jesus did, I can. It might not seem like a significant shift, but again, the weight of it, it doesn't matter to shift it from yours to God's but shift it over to him because the longer you try to hold it, it'll wear you out. And again, I'm not trying to remove obedience or surrender or repentance. All these things we need to, quote unquote, do. But none of those things we do alone. They're always from an invitation of Christ. In Christ alone, we exercise our faith. 
Listen to how Isaiah spoke prophetically about Jesus and us. And I want you to pay attention. I've, I've written it or, uh, on the scripture. As you see it on the screen, you'll see that the words are underlined. And that's even a great way in our Bibles to, to, as we're studying. When we see something, just underline it. Underline the important parts that we cite. And then in the margin, just put down why we thought that was important. And so you could look at this passage that we see in Isaiah and you could see the difference between what he carries versus what we carry, the weight he carries versus us. Because it says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Meaning we looked down upon him. Even though he was carrying that for us, we didn't regard him at all. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He leads. He initiates. He goes first. And if the enemy can bring deception where we believe that it all rests on us instead of the joy of the Lord being our strength, then even following Jesus can drain us of our strength. Our following Jesus, it does develop in two ways, though, right? It, it is a being and a doing. In following Jesus, an effort is necessary, but there's never room for earning. Our effort in following Jesus is being in step with him and not, and not being enticed by the ways of the world and not listening to the habits and the, and the desires of the flesh. We have effort in doing that, but it doesn't earn us anything. Core issue for you might not be what you are doing, but the false belief in which you are abiding in that my following Jesus is all on me. My Bible, my prayers, uh, my charity, how I feel, how I stand before God, how I do those things. That's how I have the right to stand before God because I do all those things. We may not articulate it that clearly, but there's somewhere in our hearts that we feel that that justification of going, God, what are you doing? Why aren't you here? I've been so faithful in reading my Bible and going to church and, and putting something in the offering plate. I've been so faithful in doing that, and yet I still have this issue to deal with. We feel like our faith should have earned us something because we went first. We felt like it was up to us to make something, to earn something, some, some credit with God that he, he, we could cash in on later. It never works that way. We need to abide in the truth. In the words of Jesus today, no one can come to me unless the Father who sends me draws him. God goes first. So today, let's ask the Lord to break a false belief 
that faith is all about me. When faith is all about my following Jesus. And to follow anyone means one thing. They go first. They're in front. They lead the way. This week, when you exercise any spiritual discipline, remember this. Remember, you are not starting something. You are joining someone. When you go into that comfy chair that maybe you you always go to, God is already there. He's ready to wrap his arms around you. Not in some mystical way, there being something special about the chair or anything like that, but in a supernatural loving way where God loves meeting with you so much, he's there in advance waiting for you to come because he always risks first. He always invites first. He always goes first. The Holy Spirit is always there. Every time you feel like it's all on you, remind yourself to put down the weight. It's not all on you. Whether you've been great at your devotions, whether you've been great at reading the Bible, or whether it's been a hard time, the weight is not on you. Just come to Jesus. He wants to carry you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. He wants to be the strength that you need. He wants to be the joy of your salvation. He wants to be all those things. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest from spiritual disciplines. Rest from repentance. Rest from following. No. Rest from believing it all falls on you. Rest from a world where it's all about performance and about being good enough. Rest from a false identity where everything rises and falls on you. Rest in the finished work of Jesus and in the unfinished work of you being more like Jesus. Today we, get, we have a choice. You have a choice. Will I rest in what Jesus has done for me? Will I rest in who Jesus is for me? Will I rest in his invitation to follow him? 